Welcome back to Welcome our back. last episode. I'm also yelling. I'm going to start that over. Welcome back to our last episode of season two. Season two. Episode 10. Episode 10. Yes. Wow. We've come such the a long way, man. How, how does it two. feel? How do you feel? I like it. I'm good. I feel like we've gotten better at it throughout the season. I think we've definitely gotten better at keeping the episodes under two hours. Solid. I think there was only like, I feel like Napoleon was really long, which I think is fair because uh, the movie on Napoleon is going to be long as fuck. So uh, why wouldn't our podcast episode? I think he's a complicated figure. Sure. But I think that was the only one that was like little lengthy. way long. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm super proud of us too, Mav. I think we've covered a lot of cool, interesting people and yep. we've had a lot of cool, interesting, interesting things to say about them. And I've learned a ton uh, as always. I have too. So yeah, me too. I'm happy to get into this last episode. I yes. sort of remember what we're talking about, but... So, if you're listening, just in case, first of all, if you're listening, uh, my name is Kate or Mav, short for Maverick, Yeet. and that's Lonix. Hi! Which is, I guess, short for Lauren, because whenever I write the descriptions, I definitely say Kate and Lauren, <laughs> and we never understand <laughs> But um, we, so if this is the very first episode you're listening to, normally we cover a single couple from history, usually far away history, but we get recent every once in a while. Modern times a little. We cover that couple from sort of their life start to finish and their relationship Mm -hmm. and discuss what their relationship means, not just like to us, but within the greater scheme of relationships yeah and any things we can tie to like present day norms or issues or things that you know people would go through maybe just to see how much humans haven't changed and in some aspects how much they have changed yeah and it's is there some conjecture on our part sure but we're trying to give it it's a podcast of our opinions mev we're using the historical facts that we have about these couples Mm -hmm. to connect to modern day romance and i wouldn't go as far as to say advice even though the name of our podcast literally starts with how to but we're definitely trying to connect it back but for the last episode of each season i thought it would be interesting and fun to sort of step away from that rigid not that it's super rigid but like from that the normal couples Mm -hmm. and do a sort of broader topic that connects back to relationships and advice and things like that i love it what are we talking about today, Mav? Last season, we talked about divorce. Yes. A breakup icon, if you will. Yeah. And then this season, I thought it would be interesting because we have been spending, at this point, 19 full episodes talking about humans and the ways that they interact with each other. So oh. what I'm saying to you oh. is we might not be able to tell you how to break up, uh-huh. but this is how the animal kingdom does it, I guess. We're does- talking about animals that mate for life. Ooh. Okay, love. I <laughs> all of that to say, we're talking about animals that made for life. I thought but I know what we were within talking the about, animal kingdom, but I had actually no idea this is what we we're talking about. What so, did you think we were talking I, about? Honestly, Mav, I thought I don't. I don't even know. I don't know. I thought we were going to talk about marriage, maybe as like a um, you know, nah. a, a contrast to divorce that we talked about last season. And then maybe as a little right, it's like a an animal marriage. There, I know? definitely say the word divorce in this document. Oh, but you don't say the word marriage. We'll be discussing animal divorce for sure. Okay. Yeah. Animals don't get married as of yet, except for what Anita 
Anito, Anita and Pongo and 101 Dalmatians. They seem to have had a civil ceremony in that movie. I think there are plenty of animal marriages. Mav, we just aren't privy yeah. to their to the details of them. Just like we don't well, know we'll a lot about out. eels either. They're pretty secretive. We don't know anything about eels. We know a little. Do we? I, <laughs> or do we just think we know? Do we know what the eels want us the eels want us to think about them? Well, no, but I don't think we know that about any animal. That's fair. I, we don't know it about ourselves. That's true. No one knows anything. But let's get into it, Mav. Okay. We're gonna talk okay. about penguins, I assume. Oh, interesting that you would say penguins. The animal kingdom is full of every kind of relationship that you can imagine. We have harems, we have orgies, we have asexual reproduction. Ooh. They're all perfectly normal ways for animals to complete their ultimate objective, which would be, of course, passing their genes on to the next generation. That is the sort of through line of this whole thing is that animals' priorities are eat, survive, procreate. That's all they want to do. Such a good life. Mav, I Humans, honestly, on the other hand, I subscribe to that. As is our nature, we have overcomplicated everything. We don't those three things. We don't. We're so far beyond those, apparently. Even though there's still a vast majority of the people in the United States that need help That's, with all of those uh, things, but like uh, whatever, not not procreate, uh, I guess, but like they do need help to survive and eat. They do. Not my business. I'd say surviving as a human. There's a spectrum there, man, because you can be literally surviving. But I don't know if anyone enjoys just that. You know, I feel like most people want to yeah. thrive. They want to like yeah. Whereas their an best animal life. is unable. I feel like a lot of times with animals and what sort of separates them from humans are there's a lot of different things. Is that they're if they're surviving, they're thriving. Exactly. You know what I mean? Because animals have no they're concept not building of money or capitalism, man. God, okay. yeah, I know. They That's don't have to it. pay to live on Earth like we no, do. They don't. We've just put, oh, sorry. We have put not just a social pressure, but a moral pressure on monogamy and in large part defined a successful life as one spent with a loving and monogamous partner. Whether you agree with that or not, whether you think that's good or not, that's what people have done. Sounds like a good but life. Is that how it's always been? Mm-hmm. And is that even possible for the rest of the species in the world who don't have the same intelligence or emotional sensitivity that humans do? There are many animals that also practice monogamy and maybe looking at them can help us understand ourselves a bit better. I- I agree. I'm going to go over these animals by breaking them down into their classes. Okay. So we're going to start with fish because I only have one fish. Oh, okay. You know fish in the sea. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar or with the, the fish. Water. You're familiar uh, with fish. I, I'm familiar. I love a, I love a fish. Seahorses. <gasps> are They're cool for a lot of different reasons, right? They I so love cool. a seahorse. Love a seahorse. I did a project on seahorses when I was in like elementary school. Cute. And I feel like the animals that you do projects on when you're like a kid, they always sort of stick with you and you remember them and you're like, those are, <laughs> I like them. Those are my, those are my peeps right there. Yeah. My dad and I went on a like journey when I was young. I want to say under like 10 where we tried to like, he had, I think he had a fish tank. Okay. And we were trying to. I feel like it had, like, beta fish or something in it. Like, it was just a chill, like, little... I think it was a saltwater tank. Mm. And he... We went searching for seahorses. We were like, we could put those in the tank. How cool would that be? Yeah. They keep they kept going in and out of being... I don't, It wasn't an, in danger, but they kept going in and out of being, like, at risk. What does that and mean? And when they're at what risk, you, you can't buy them. Oh. 
Like, I think it's a step above endangered. They yeah. were like... Got you as a species. We're keeping an eye on them. Yeah, not doing so great. When they're not doing so great, you can't buy them, which makes sense. Yes. You can't like sell Mm -hmm. endangered species. That makes sense. So we we never were able to get one, but we did look for one. Uh Uh-huh. Seahorses are cool for a lot of different reasons, as we've discussed. Yeah. You got a unique and iconic look. The males give birth. They have camouflage. And they use their tail to hold on to stuff. All of that, I think, is super fun. So cool. It's as if you needed more. But they are also one of the only fish to exhibit monogamy and mate for life. It's possible that their monogamy is related to their poor swimming skills and the risk of predation associated with looking for a mate. So once they find one, they just sort of stick together. Even if they don't actually like them in the long run? I don't. I don't know. But I think that's noble of them still, you know? I think that it... Because they're both bad. Like, males and females are, like, not good swimmers. Oh. So I wonder if it's more of a, like, thank God you're here. Like, yes. What a life for an uh, an aquatic, Fish? yeah, to not. I mean, be... look at how they're shaped. It makes sense that they're not like. Yeah, that's true. They're little kind of. But they have um, singular. they've got really good camouflage, and they they got that little tail. They can hold on to things. That's I think that true. they're they've made they've it managed this far. to survive. Yeah, they've yeah. made it this far. Seahorses will get together to mate, and then the female will lay her eggs into the male's pouch, and he will be pregnant. I don't know if that needs a quote or not. Some some sources were just like calling it a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is. I mean, he's got an egg and he's got some eggs inside him that he's going to then push out. Yeah. But the the female has to put those eggs there first. She gave birth. She laid the eggs, but he birthed the children. So he like fertilizes them while he's got them in his pouch. I don't. Well, okay. So what I've written down is see how seahorses will get together and mate. And then the female will lay her eggs into the male's pouch. I think that they mate Uh and the egg is fertilized. Uh, inside of the female and then she lays the egg because uh-huh. fish lay eggs yeah she lays the most of the time they do fish she lays the egg inside of the pouch mm-hmm. that the male has that's going to incubate them so instead of having a nest she has a, a male pouch okay i mean i do like i guess that the male is doing slightly more work in this scenario oh yeah he's doing a lot more work <laughs> but the female will visit the male every morning and she will remain faithful to him as she sort of goes out and about on her business doing other stuff doing seahorse things doing seahorse things and then the male i think is pregnant for yeah two weeks before giving birth to live seahorses have you ever seen a seahorse giving birth i have not no they like the male seahorse it sort of has a big it looks like a big pregnant belly and then they like <gasps> and it's like they breathe in and it's like baby sea uh baby seahorses come out of a belly button you oh know what I mean? that's interesting that's sounds, the most sounds kind of traumatic but also unscientific way to explain well birth is traumatic the fact that a man's doing it i think is great that's yeah it. That they is- will continue yeah. to mate and live together until one dies oh after the death of a mate after a death of a mate the remaining seahorse will display traumatized behavior and sometimes even even die within a short time however other times they will find a new mate and continue breeding oh if one dies but they still young, seem to say. be sad yeah yeah so that means they have feelings and emotions i, also, and I don't a, think seahorses live that long a sense you know of I mean? attachment yeah but that's interesting Mav. i like yeah i i i think all animals do to a certain extent you know have like feelings and uh, yeah a, a capacity to yeah. be like aware of what's around them you I know so but that's cool okay go see as a, as a quick note before we leave fish behind <laughs> lobsters are not monogamous despite the famous friends quote oh, i never watched that show in friends phoebe says that lobsters mate for life and then she compares lobsters to ross and rachel uh, at the, uh-huh. like the beginning of their relationship basically saying like they love each other and they belong together they'll be together forever yeah uh but lobsters don't mate for life no lobsters seem also like kind of bitchy you know <laughs> The whole pull the lobster, yeah. don't let a lobster get out of the pot sort of metaphor there. Well, that's because they're being boiled alive. Yeah, but they would rather, like, 
have everyone like suffer instead of having like any of their other brethren get out alive it's like no if i if that's kind of like america i have i in have a way. no idea what you're talking about i guess but. okay so it's like <laughs> what i've heard i don't know how accurate this is but i think it's pretty true is that obviously before you boil the, the lobsters are being boiled like alive right and this is why they started putting like um a lid the lid on top because obviously they would try to escape yeah the the hot boiling water but instead yeah. of like assisting each other and getting out of the pot they would like see one of the lobsters getting out and they would instead bring that lobster back down to try and like get out on top of it you know what i'm hearing from you uh-huh it's a lot of victim blaming i'm not I, i'm not the lobsters no i'm just saying they would probably all get out. I want the lobsters to live. I'm not the ones boiling them. I'm saying if their mentality was a little bit more um, uh, like togetherism instead of individualist, I feel like they would get out. I mean, m- maybe not entirely because humans will do whatever they need to do to kill other things. But yeah. you know, I just... I, listen, not to be super woke, but as someone that's not in the food chain... <sighs> someone who's not, not a lobster... Judging. I'm not judging those within the food chain on what they do. You are in the food chain, Matt. To survive. No, we're outside of it. No, I don't. We're unaffected by it. Unaffected. I don't think so. A bear will eat your ass real quick. And will a shark. And maybe a man. I have a gun. And a man. Or a house to keep the bear out. (sighs) We're not hunted. No one's hunting us. (laughs) Women are hunted. Yeah. But okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, basically, lobsters have kind of i mean not normal but they have a somewhat normal i guess depending on what you think a normal mating yeah, they're, is, they're where not. they just have like they have one dominant male that mates with a bunch of females in the area and then the females if they don't like that one dominant guy will go find another one very okay. you know normal yeah animal stuff Pre- pretty standard monogamy and reptiles is also rare oh. one and i think maybe the only one is the shingle back lizard or skink which is called the faithful lizard. Uh-huh. They can live for 50 years wow. and during that time will have one mate. That's a long time. They get together six to eight weeks for before the breeding season begins. They live together, they hunt together, and they travel together. And then they mate and then they separate. The female goes off and she'll give birth and raise the baby somewhere else. Oh. And then we'll go back to the same place with the same male for the next mating season. And then their babies are just left like yeah the babies are with their parents i don't think they're with the mother for that long but they live within the mother's territory for about a year or two before they spread out oh okay but uh, generally reptiles don't do a lot of child care at all yeah you know like like turtles and stuff just leave that's true that's true in the sand and and then they have to yeah and they have to make that trek from their sandy nest to the ocean without getting swallowed by a bird. So these lizards, these lizards mate for life. Yeah. Love. Mm-hmm. I love love. There have even been sightings of shingleback lizards who died like on the side of the road. You know what I mean? Oh. Like roadkill. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they'll be found days later and their mate will still be sitting next to them in like mourning. You know, like wouldn't leave them. Oh, that's so sweet and sad also at the same yeah. time. Yeah, it's a tough world out there. It is, it is, it is. Life sucks. Mostly. Monogamy is a bit more prevalent in mammals. Yes, of course Obviously, it is. we are mammals. We are. And technically, we are monogamous creatures. Not really, but... At least that's how societies, our society is like built, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Aside from us, there are also beavers, foxes, <gasps> wolves, and... Beavers! Gibbons. Gibbons. Beavers. What about penguins? Penguins are birds. Oh, man. Beavers are what humans wish they were. Wait. They're a social monogamous. They're beavers socially monogamous. what humans 
wish they were. Okay. Hey, man. Beavers There's, are the ideal. Did you say socially saying. monogamous? What does that mean? They are socially monogamous and their lives revolve around family. That means that they pair up. But like, they like socially, like they only have one friend? No, they have one partner. Mm, one mate. So romantically. Yeah. Yeah. But more than just like the, the lizards would get together, they would mate. And then they would split up. Mm. I think they would still be called socially monogamous, the the lizards. But beavers are different because they pair up and they mate for life with both parents involved in raising the children. And even the older offspring will help raise the younger ones. Mm. That's nice. The beavers live and mate together for up to 20 years. Although if their mate dies, a surviving partner will look for a new mate. Right. And they're just building their dams, you know? With their with their wife and their husband and their yeah. little children. Good for yeah. beavers, man. Good for beavers. I honestly had never really thought about beavers that much. And and the only time I, I like was, a beaver, I do like a beaver. I really was into angry beavers, that Nickelodeon show. Same. I think Literally it was on Nickelodeon. It was a Nickelodeon um, show. Even though they were always show. angry. Yeah, it was a it was great they, show. They did have a strong bond with their parents, though. They called their parents. They did. Their parents were in an episode. I don't remember that at all. I mean, I'm not saying you're not. You're and not wrong. they were brothers, showing a very clear. That's true. Familial bond. They were very close. They did kind of argue a lot, but they were close. Well, yeah. You gotta have. Argue. Yes, that's true. You gotta have something for the entertainment. You know, wolves are a bit more complicated. Wolves instead of a yeah wolves. You okay. know wolves. Yes, I'm familiar with the wolf. Instead of a bunch of pairs, wolves live in packs, as you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. So within the pack, there's an alpha male and an alpha female. Those two are the only ones who are allowed to breed and they mate for life as a way to cement their dominance. Say that again. So they, they're in a pack and the two so there alphas is an alpha in the pack, male and an alpha female. There is an alpha male and an alpha female of uh-huh. the pack. Uh-huh. Those two are the only ones who are allowed to breed. So uh-huh. they mate for life as a way to cement their dominance. They sort of uh-huh. stick together and mate as we go. Yeah. But not if one of, mate dies... Uh-huh. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it doesn't seem like it's out of... I mean, none of these really well, do. But it seems more of like a... They're animals. Well, they're animals. And but we're, still, we only know about them from scientific fact. You're putting whatever emotion you want to on them. I'm going off what you said. And you said they do it as a display of dominance, which makes sense. Like, a lot of mammals do that. As a way to cement that. their dominance. Right. I don't think that they're... I'm not saying that they're, like, mating in front of the rest of the group. No, that's not what I was getting at. Okay. <laughs> that's what I was getting at. I was getting at more of, like, a... Um, nah, you know what? It doesn't so matter. There are, well, there are some examples where the male might mate with multiple females within the pack. Sure. And that's usually a sign that the alpha female is not that dominant or aggressive. So she's not that strong, I guess. All of this, all of the mating rituals is to, of any kind is to make sure that you have the strongest, best child that's going to survive. Yes. Right? Yes. If one of the mates die, the other will move on and mate with another wolf. However, mates are known to be very affectionate and loving towards each other, which is rare. That's nice. Other, more subordinate males will try to mate, and some will succeed while others get chased off by members of the pack. So, like, other pe- like the other wolves are like, I would also like to mate. Sure. I'm sure they would. And it's, so it's a social rule that they can, not a physical rule. Like, they all have the ability to. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so there's some sneaking going around and it all <laughs> depends on how sort of dominant the alphas are, if that continues or doesn't. Yes, all the beta but wolves. Dogs, dogs are very affectionate. And so I, I would assume it's similar with wolves with each other. They are. 
even though and we're very aware of how dogs show affection mm-hmm. so it makes sense to me that scientists would be able to recognize affection in wolves because i think it's similar oh for sure i think i mean dogs at least domesticated dogs i think have have had a lot of human influence that has yeah there was um, changed the way that they show affection and things but i'm sure you know one of the wolves do it too. articles that i was reading i don't know if it was an article or if it was one of the books one of the articles i was reading was saying that in i think canada they've noticed some wolves getting more aggressive towards people and dogs and just in general getting a lot closer to people than they were. And so they did some genetic testing and found out that the dogs in the area, like the like farm dogs that live near the woods, uh-huh. that they've been um, mating with wolves. You said they're getting more aggressive, but closer to humans? The So the wolves that they found that had dog in them, Mm-hmm. were a lot more willing to come up to people. Oh, yeah. And they were a lot more aggressive towards other dogs and stuff like that. I just thought that was interesting. That, that makes sense. It's very interesting. Foxes are similarly complicated. They can Ooh. be They can be monogamous, and they tend to live in pairs or as like a small family unit. Uh-huh. They seem to form pairs that last for life and have a strong emotional attachment. Widowed foxes or widowered foxes, so like of each sex have been known to refuse to mate again after the death of their mate. Oh, they were in love. Yeah, and there are examples of foxes whose mate have died that just, like, roam around crying, like, letting out cries. Yeah. Uh, However, there is also evidence of male foxes mating with their pair until she's sort of done. Because, like, the fox will be, like, in heat. Uh You know what I mean? So he'll mate with his pair, like, his mate, until she's done being in heat. And Uh then he'll go and mate with a bunch of other... Oh. He'll go look for more opportunities. that are in heat. Additionally, females looking to mate will spend time at the edge of their territory where they're more likely to see more males than just their one mate. So there is like... So they're not monogamous, is what you're saying. I think so. I think that... Well, what, what I think is that they're socially monogamous and that they have this pair for life, uh-huh. but they're not necessarily sexually monogamous. Okay. We'll, we'll keep going. Okay. This doesn't happen every time, and it could be a response to sort of rising threats against foxes, so they feel they need to breed more. Like, there's an external pressure oh, that's yeah. making them behave this way as opposed to as opposed to just their nature. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. There are also examples of one male fox living with two adult female foxes. Sometimes he mates with both of them. And so it's like a thruple situation. (laughs) Or sometimes there's just one couple. So it's like one of the female foxes is mating with the the male fox. And the other adult female fox is just like a nanny or like a friend, you know, that's just (laughs) living with them. Okay. I love uh, the visualization of a nanny fox. Yeah. Just taking care of the pups. Just helping out. Having a little affair maybe from time to time you know typical typical human american things mav gibbons are small apes that live in the china india bangladesh area okay they are the only other primate that practice monogamy other than us oh as primates i think i'm pretty sure we're primates i don't actually know but that sounds correct okay they are love a gibbon they're known to be monogamous with two gibbons pairing up and forming a family together cute they raise their children together and spend their time bonding by grooming each other However, there have been times where female gibbons give birth to babies not fathered by their partner, and even situations where mated gibbons split up and almost seem to have a 
divorce. Oh, why? Because they're not getting along? Um, I don't know. I didn't ask the Gibbons. Uh, well, that's kind of sad. Now, uh, now seems like a good time for me to go over the types of monogamy, since we've already sort of been discussing that briefly. Okay. Of which there are apparently three within the within biology. Okay. There's sexual monogamy. Uh-huh. An animal has sex with one partner at a time or in a mating season. There's social monogamy, where two animals partner up to mate and raise their offspring. And then there's genetic monogamy, which is all of the female's offspring are fathered by one male. Oh, uh, okay. So genetic monogamy is what we kind of think when we say monogamy, right? Some sort of mix between genetic and social. We think all of these children are his children, right? Wait. That's what you think? Of monogamy, of what the word monogamy means. When you look at two animals and you say they're monogamous, you think, cool, all of her kids are his kids mm-hmm. and they raise them together. Yes, which would be what? That's sexual monogamy. That's, That's all of them. No. Well, yeah, I mean, it is all of them, but it's genetic monogamy specifically because it's like genetic is going to cover all of them. You can have right, sexual but- monogamy without having genetic monogamy. Because I guess there's like if it's a new mating season or whatever... They could go yeah. mate with somebody else yeah. for that whole season and then would be there considered even, monogamous um, with them. Well, there are even animals that don't have a mating season, right? They're just sort of, like, we're always ovulating. Uh-huh. And so we could have, I mean, we can't have multiple babies a year, but there are some animals that can have multiple babies in a year. And so she'll mate with one, have a baby, mate with another, have a baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't have to be seasons. Got but you. Yes. But I don't think that's, uh, that's classified as any sort of monogamy then. It is class. It's literally classified as one of the types of monogamy in biology. Which one? Sexual monogamy. I don't. We just talked about. I don't. Having one partner for a season. But you said if they don't have a season, they're just mating whenever they. Then it's one at a time. I I read. I read the definitions to you. I know, but okay. Let's just talk about it. I'm not saying. I'm not like getting mad at you, and you didn't like create these definitions. (laughs) So like, I'm not. I'm not like attacking you. I'm just. I'm. I'm having a conversation. Sexual monogamy, as by the definition that you read, as defined, an animal has sex with one partner at a time or in a mating season. I think that the or in a mating season is being added to differentiate between animals that have a set mating season Uh and animals that don't. I know. I think what sexual Monogamy is basically like, I have one partner until I have a baby, and then maybe I'll have another partner. Okay. Totally understand that that is like science's definition. There are other animals that will, throughout the mating season mate with as many men as many males as they can and when they have the baby who knows you know what i mean mm-hmm. and there are some that have multiple uh uteruses they have the ability to carry multiple different males yes. offspring within them at the same mm-hmm. time so there's a lot of things that are a sexual monogamy is we're pairing up for the season whether or not it really is a mating season or whether or not it's this it's, month it's a moment or whatever time. Because, sure. you know, you have things like uh, like a lot of rodents are sort of always ovulating. They go, they get pregnant, they're pregnant for a month, and then they have their babies. And then a month later, they can get pregnant again and have another set of babies, you know? So there's a, there's a lot of different... The, these definitions are covering different kinds of monogamy in a world where... And I guess in a world... But like in a situation where they're trying to cover um, so many different types of mating. So many different types of anatomy, you know? I gotcha, man. Sounds good. Social monogamy is like what the beavers do, mm-hmm. where these two animals, they partner up, they mate, and they raise their children together. Yeah. However, there are plenty of examples, both in beavers and anywhere else, where we're going to get to it in a second, even more examples, where basically like, now that we're able to genetically test the offspring, what if you're just watching the animals and you're not like, you can't watch an animal 24-7, right? Like you can't, you, you can leave a computer on them, you can leave a camera on them, but they might leave. Mm-hmm. And there have been plenty 
situations where scientists have been observing like a like they've been observing a fox pair mm-hmm. and they seem like they're always together mm-hmm. but what they don't know is you know at night or when they're not looking one or both of them is going to go off and mate with other people okay. not other people but other foxes uh-huh. okay. and so that's still social monogamy because these two animals are still partnering up they're still raising their offspring together it just so happens that all of the offsprings are not genetically the male's offspring okay and that he is not that he might have offspring with someone else as well yes but it still is social monogamy they're still behaving monogamously in every other aspect mm-hmm. okay and the genetic monogamy is we've checked and all of these children are made for it's like a family yeah. right like it's like a, the way humans the way like a nuclear family within humans go it's like the father and the mother have these children and these are their children and yeah that's what's happening okay you know as we continue in science you have to you learn things and therefore have to change your terminology for stuff mm-hmm. and so they don't want to just leave the word monogamy behind because it still does provide a really good touchstone for people like we know what monogamy is mm-hmm. and so if you use that in your definitions and explain it to that it can help us understand what you're really talking about yes agreed okay okay so all three of these types of monogamy are present in an- in the animal kingdom mm-hmm. but they also seem to all get lumped together like we were saying into what the human idea of monogamy is which like we were saying is like genetic monogamy kind of mixed with social okay yeah yeah uh-huh. you know the social aspect of these two people building their life together and taking care of their children together and the genetic aspect of all of these children have the exact same parents yeah mm-hmm that's what we think of monogamy is as humans. And so when we say things like, oh, are these these animals mate for life? Or, oh, these animals are monogamous. We're thinking it means that when it means a lot of different things. We've discovered it means a lot of different things now that we're really able to look into it. Yeah. Monogamy is very present in birds, which is the class that has sort of the most monogamous species. That's cool. I love a bird. Swans are known to be monogamous with people pointing out that their curved necks make a heart. Yeah. When they embrace, when two swans embrace. However, swans are also known to divorce. Mm -hmm. If they're in a pair that's unsuccessful at breeding, then they will split up. Yeah. And a study of the Australian black swans found that one in seven eggs in a nest weren't fathered by the mate. One in seven. One in seven. Okay. At least one in seven. Yeah. Scrub jays appear to be monogamous with the male bringing the female food while she incubates, like while she sits on the nest. Scrub jays? Scrub jays. Cute. The fairy wrens also appear to be monogamous, along with turtle doves, black vultures, the albatross, even lovebirds themselves, like literal lovebirds. They're all, at the very least, socially monogamous. Okay. They're all committing to each other, helping raise their young together, taking care of each other during the incubation phase and yeah. they, they do tend to partner up for their entire lives however now that scientists can check genetics like i was saying yeah they have realized that the majority of these nests for these birds are the baby birds are followed fathered by multiple males and the male has fathered multiple baby birds in other nests right okay they did um a study on the fairy wrens where like i was saying they have like a, a camera on the nest that sort of watches them 24 7 yeah They didn't realize until they put a tracker on the female Mm -hmm. of the birds that she was actually like flying out every night during the mating season. She'd spend the whole day with her mate and would mate with him. But then at night she would fly away, mate with some other birds and then come back. Oh, okay. Spicy, spicy birds. That doesn't mean that there's not an additional emotional monogamy happening here. Yeah. Like we have no idea how the birds feel. For example, if a lovebird's mate dies or if you just own one lovebird because people can own lovebirds birds uh-huh. like a pet if you just own one or if they're the in the wild or even in captivity if their mate dies 
that bird will become aggressive and it will display really odd behaviors mm. until they can find a new mate or they're sort of given a mate. So when, if you just own one, you just own an unhappy lovebird. Yeah. I really think that you are not, I don't even know if you're allowed to buy just one because uh, they, they are aggressive. They don't, they don't handle it well. Yeah. They need, they need a companion. Their other, their other lovebird. Many other birds are like penguins where they are monogamous, but just for one mating season. I love penguins. So that's the, what was it? The sexual monogamy? Is that what we called it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. So. so penguins are an example of the sexual monogamy where they will mate for one season and then the next season they will mate with someone else. Yeah. And then their penguin offspring is out into the world. <laughs> Yeah. Cute. In addition to giving us something that we can have in common with animals, knowing about different species monogamy also lets us get kind of an inside look at the concept of monogamy itself and the effects of monogamy in sort of evolution. Okay. For one, animals that are monogamous seem to look different than animals that compete for their mate. So like a male lion has to compete with other male lions to protect his pride of female lions Uh and be able to mate with his female lions. Right. Right. Yeah. He has to fight other males yeah, and he has to protect them from other males. Yes. Yeah. They has to look really fierce. Male deer will fight with other male deer as a display of force to try and win a female's attention and get to mate with her, right? There's tons of examples like that in the animal kingdom yeah. where the males are sort of fighting over either protecting their group of women to mate with or fighting over the right of whatever female happens to be present. Mm-hmm. Because of this, the males of these types of species are much better bigger than the females. Over time, because the female has picked the biggest and the most dominant male uh-huh. over the generations, oh yes, only the big dominant ones get to procreate. procreate. Mm-hmm. And so they're more likely to be big and dominant as we keep going. And eventually that's where we end up, where yeah. the male is much bigger. A male lion is much bigger than a female lion. A buck, like a like a 12 point buck is much bigger than a small female like doe yeah. like they're different sizes yeah uh, a silverback gorilla is much bigger than the female gorillas because they have to fight to be able to mate with them yes makes sense additionally species that are monogamous and you don't see that with species that are monogamous I should say so like the gibbons both of the gibbons are the same size uh-huh. with both of the foxes are basically the same size yeah the wolves are generally the same size they're a little bit different because obviously the alphas are, are going to be bigger and there's some fighting in order to do that yeah but they're not huge there's not a major size difference like there is like with the lions or with the other examples Mm -hmm. the the creatures that are monogamous don't have to compete because everyone's just going to find their person Mm -hmm. basically like you know there's some competition happening but like not a yearly competition that i have to be ready to perform in or i won't get to mate you know yes Additionally, the species that are monogamous are sometimes vulnerable to predators, like most of the small bird species, species. so it makes sense that they would pair up so that the eggs can be better protected, sort of a two heads are better than one kind of situation. We're going to be able to have a more successful mating season if we can depend on each other to protect ourselves. Yeah, okay. Finally, the species that display social monogamy also co-parent their offspring, right? Species that display social monogamy, yeah. 
Uh-huh. They're built, they're working together to raise their offspring. Yes. Often, these are offsprings that either take a lot of work oh. to raise, like oh. baby birds, they take a lot of effort. Yeah. Or they spend a lot of time with their parents before heading off on their own. I think beavers spend like, I feel like I read it was like five years. Oh, wow. It's a lot. Time. With their parents before they go off. Yeah. And I think wolves either sort of, the baby wolves either join the pack or they go off. So it's like, there's a lot of parenting involved. So it's, yeah. it's makes sense that there are two, two parents doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So all of this makes the question of human monogamy interesting. Humans born male can be larger than humans born female, but not always. And not necessarily at the same degree as like a lion or a gorilla. Like they're not male. Humans born male don't tend to be that much bigger. No. Sometimes there's a, small. I mean, there's a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. So there's not an obvious size difference between the sexes. A little, but yeah, not really. But there, but there is a little. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're going to argue with me about this next point. We are not technically in the food chain. Okay. But the society that we have created definitely rewards pairing off and having two people work together to survive. So we're not like the birds that have predators coming after them. Right. But we've definitely built our society where, you know, oh, well, couples can even little stuff where you're like well if you're a couple if you're in a monogamous couple you can rent a one-bedroom apartment and split it between two incomes yeah that's you, nice you could do that with your friend yeah let's split a one-bedroom <laughs> i was with, just saying but you know what i mean like it's yes, like even yes. if you're in a marriage you're using these two incomes to support both of you and you're working together Hopefully, to sort of survive through the word yeah if one of them isn't a fucking bum yes you right you right yeah. now the society is definitely built for pairs you know oh yeah have you seen um, have you seen uh what's that movie with um what's his face lobster red lobster something lobster the lobster the lobster i haven't seen it (gasps) i've heard it's good though oh my god it's an exact metaphor of how we've built our society it's really good you should watch it i think you'd thoroughly enjoy it well i don't know if human children are the hardest to raise of any type of children they're pretty difficult i don't have any children and i haven't done any of the legwork of how hard other animals work to raise their children it seems like we're really hard i would agree it seems like human babies are very hard to raise and hard to have and hard you know i think we're i think humans are just difficult from start to finish yeah so it would make sense to me that our society even if you're going like way back into the sort of caveman days it makes sense to me that monogamous parents monogamous relationships were an important part of that not just for the mating aspect of like you need a sperm and an egg to make a baby but in this the just the raising of a child aspect we're like we need two people to at do least this. two and also at least two most times it takes a village wink wink but it just seems like so baby birds are really hard to raise and then baby beavers just live at home for a while right mm-hmm. i think humans have both we're really hard to raise and we are we take a very long time to reach maturity Sometimes where we can go and never. be off without our parents yeah mm-hmm same yeah i agree so all of those help the argument of scientists on whether or not humans naturally are monogamous whether or not it's a because there's a lot of argument and discussion around humanity of like what is an instinct like do humans have instinct oh i think so for sure you know what are what are we naturally doing and what is a learned behavior from the society that we've built yeah i mean i and so well, what do you think? Are we meant to be monogamous? I think it's very nuanced and it's not a clear like black and white answer. And I think yeah. 
the way that humans have evolved or, you know, over time where, you know, same with like hunter gatherer days where you could probably pinpoint the differences between men and women much more, or there was a much bigger, like innate difference because men would, because they're genetically bigger, would go out and hunt and do all that thing. And, and, you know, the women would, but they're not that even, I don't even think Neanderthals were that much bigger. Right. The males were that much bigger than the females. And so I do think that lends itself to the monogamous idea that they don't need to be big enough to compete. They need to be big enough to survive. Right. But I think they need, they, at that time, they needed to be big enough to compete against the things that they were trying to kill to eat. And I mean, there are some like genetic differences and, you know, in terms of testosterone and and, and men and women and those have real world effects in terms of strength and all these things. But I don't think that is that I think we've humans have evolved, obviously, clearly away from that where you like you don't need to hunt and gather your food anymore. So like the the, those sort of differences between men and women don't matter anymore. So it's not like you. Yes. And in the same way where it would be it would if you were like. Say you were ejected from your pack, right? As a human being yeah. in those days, you were most certainly going to die because you didn't have that support. It was going to be rough. You know? Yes. It's going to be a rough trip. Whereas like now, today's age, if you were ejected from your pack, which I would I would just take to be like your family maybe disowns you, you don't get along with your family, right. so you take it upon yourself or you are forcefully it's much harder to, to be leave. rejected from all of humanity these right. days yes you you are i think you are in a much better position to survive now you know yeah. so so i think the question of like are humans naturally monogamous or like instinctually monogamous the answer has not been stayed the same throughout like the history of human beings well i think the question of whether we are naturally monogamous is i think that's what they're at not neither not whether or not we should be now no i yes i think I know that that's no... sort of an unknown part of it but i think it's i'm like... i think they're trying to look for proof on whether or not part of ourselves you know what i mean if it's a mm-hmm. part of our instincts it's a part of our nature then it's something that we're always going to do and sure. so i think they're questioning whether or not it was society that put on the idea of monogamy to us then particularly would... you know like religion which yeah. is big into monogamy yeah and big pushing it or if it if it's actually something that naturally happened to us. And I think in order to think about that, we have to go all the way back to the sort of, I mean, the cavemen had their own society too, and they had their own hierarchy and their own culture within them, I'm sure. But they were the, the as far back as we can sort of go before yeah. we're not humans anymore. And the idea of what did that society look like? And at that point, the only clues you have are going to be animals that are still living in the same way that they lived thousands of years ago. Sure. Yeah. I, I would say math. I would say no. I would say humans. I don't think humans are are naturally monogamous. I think humans are like most animals, social creatures, and need like a community to survive. Yeah. But I don't. You think we're I more like a wolf? We're more like wolves. Yeah. Without the without the sort of strict alpha hierarchy. Yeah. I could see us being more like a wolves, where it's a community of people that take care of the kids, mm-hmm. that sort of mate together, that take you know. Yes. More than just two. It's not like two people are right, it's, walking around. Yes. In the I world. don't think like humans are driven to find their like one I mean, some of them are. I think, I think we might I be think, now. I think yes, but I don't think that's like natural instinct. Yeah. I think that has been like reinforced into us. I think yes, some humans now are, are really driven to find like their one person that they're meant to be with you know but i don't think that's like something that is like innate within human beings as a species i think that that depends a lot on your environment that you grew up in and like the 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 messaging around you same thing of like nature versus nurture you know i don't i don't think monogamy is like set in stone in that way i think it is very much a i think it's a, a 
equal to the nature versus nurture discussion, you know, whether it's, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of both, right? It's, 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 it's nuanced. I think, I do think that the aspects of animals that are monogamous today at any level of monogamy certainly gives an implication that perhaps humans were monogamous the whole time. Just the fact that our offspring are so freaking hard to take care of, that there Mm. isn't a major size difference and that like, particularly back when we were within the food chain, that having, being able to pair up like that would have been important. Yes, for survival. I do think that focusing on all of those aspects that is prevalent and obvious in animals ignores the fact that humans, like you said, we are immensely social. Mm-hmm. We are one of the most social creatures in the world. I think the only, off the top of my head, the only kind of creatures that seem to be more social than we are are like a colony of ants. You oh, know there's I mean? a lot of those motherfuckers, yeah. But you know what I mean? They all, and are like a hive of bees. Like I think beyond those, and maybe we're even more social than them, that we, humans cannot exist without not just one other human, but lots of other humans. Yeah. And so I think that you're right, that that could imply that monogamy, as we've currently defined it, never really existed. That I we're agree. probably something closer to the foxes or closer to the, the wolves and that like, maybe there's one, like there's a pair, like you've paired off. Sure. But that splitting from that pair isn't or wasn't the end all, you know, the end of the world. That in a lot of these books and stuff that I was reading, they would call the the like birds mating with other birds and then coming back to the nest or the like the fox going off and mating with other female foxes before coming back to his mate as like cheating. Uh-huh. And I was just kind of like, I feel like that's not, I don't, I don't think she cares. Right, like, I yeah. don't think that the female fox is like, he's cheating on me. I think that that's something we've put on it. Yeah. And I, I just find it so interesting, the morality that they're, the scientists are putting into this yeah. sort of look when what really is happening is they are trying to get their genetic material out. They are trying mm-hmm. to continue. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, they're doing that because their instinct is to continue the species. Yeah. That's that's like, that's what it is. Also the best way to survive and thrive. You know, you want to not put all your eggs in one basket so to speak. Literally. The birds are literally trying to not like put all of their eggs in one basket. The male bird's going to have his eggs in a lot of different baskets and she is going to have a lot of different male eggs in hers. Yeah, diversity Maybe the one that is the best to raise her child with is not going to be the best genes for the child to survive. Do you think who knows? Do you think incest exists in the animal kingdom? It does. First of all, it does. They... I in think the way that, that animals it, naturally try not to. You think they have you know? some sort of like knowing if they're mating with their brother or sister or cousin? I mean, if they're independent animals, maybe not. You know what I mean? If they're solitary animals, like um, leopards don't interact with any other leopards ever like tigers don't interact with other tigers Mm -hmm. it definitely could be but then there's no i feel like the problem with incest is the social aspect of it and the genetic aspect (laughs) at least in humans there's very real uh yeah genetic Technically, if your genetics are, if your genetics are fine, you can get away with a little bit of incest before it starts to become a problem. Like, right, look at the look at the European royals. Yes, yes. That no. beca- that was not a problem for them at first, but now it's clearly become a very big issue for yes. them. Yes, and there's too much inbreeding. Yes. Yes, but you like know. In, in, incest is a problem because of that. Like, it's genetically going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. As you, you know, you're less and less whatever, Diverse. but it takes a, it takes a few generations before it becomes detrimental and going to kill you all. Yes. So could there be some 
accidental incest of animals. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. I also think that they, the way that they stop that on animals that do live in sort of packs like that Uh is you know which one's your kid. Like you, you know. As right. a wolf, which ones are your children and you do not mate with them. Right, right, and right. And at some but point like, they go and they move on to a different pack where they do get to mate. You know what I mean? Like that's yes. how it works. I guess I meant more amongst like the, yes, I'm assuming right as an animal, you're like, I just gave birth to this, to these animals. I'm not yeah. going to then go and try and mate with them when it's their time, when they're able to mate. I they more will amongst, like, do the, that. Zoos have to be really careful to make sure to like get offspring out at some point so that doesn't happen. Happen. So it does happen. Yeah. I would think it's more like it happen amongst offspring, you know? Like even in the oh, like wild. brothers and sisters? Yeah, because they don't, yeah. they have even less, I mean, of awareness, I guess amongst themselves, you know? Or even like if you think about bigger packs, I right? I think. Like cousins and like. Cousins, I think you can't do anything about. I don't know. <laughs> I say, like, even <laughs> humans have struggled with cousins in small enough like societies. Yes, yes. But I. <laughs> But I, um, but I like would imagine brothers and sisters, I think there's a scent thing. Huh? I think there, for some animals, there is a scent thing mm. where you can recognize, like basically you can recognize your own scent. And yeah. so when you smell it on other people, you recognize it. Yeah. There are um, some, I read about ants. I think it was ants that mated the queen ant of the colony mm. mated with both her family members within the colony and outside ants for different reasons. What? They like made, I I can't remember, even though I just read it earlier today. She will mate with her cousins within her colony. Okay. To, and from that mating will provide like, I think additional future queens. Okay. So that their bloodline remains like, I guess, pure of that specific family of whatever. Uh-huh. And then she will mate with outside fl- outside ants uh-huh. and that will create the like worker ants i see so it's like a royal family situation so they on. do there are there are insects at least that do both yeah but maybe but there's I don't know not if insects are simple enough that it doesn't matter yeah. you know that's what i mean like maybe, their maybe genetics no... are so simple because I, don't know. I would i would i would agree with you mabin that i think that it does there's no genetic repercussion but probably for ants or any animals that like like functionally procreate like that um yeah one because you know the most and this is why there's like alpha and all these things in the animal kingdom is like the, the you know the the strongest and the fittest are are right are what's bound going to, to survive yeah right so if you're because the problem with incest i mean aside from what i meant by the social aspect of incest is that it's icky and well, we, can, we cannot we cannot forget that it's icky above what, all else that's what humans think it's math. so icky that's what yeah, humans it's think. so icky but it animals becomes don't a think problem that. when you have, like, uh, the Romanovs, the Russian people, the Russian czar and his family with Anastasia that died, them. Uh-huh. Their big problem was that their son, the heir of the Romanovs, Alexei, was, he, uh, he was a hemophiliac. He had, like, really thin blood. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's a, re- it's a really big problem. Like, if you get cut, it's, your blood doesn't clot, and yeah, so yeah. it doesn't ever so stop bleeding, and die. then you die. Yeah. The real issue is internal bleeding. Like, if you get a bruise, the bruise never heals itself, and you die. Like, it's really dangerous yeah especially in the early 1900s when we didn't have the kind of medication that we currently have Mm -hmm. but that hemophilia came from all of the inbreeding you know what i mean Mm -hmm. they like there was a lot of hemophilia in that family and that's what happened if they hadn't had any bad genes then you're not gonna get the kind of issues for a while 
But you know I what I mean? Th- sure. But I think even th- like, so even if you don't have like bad genes, the fact that you have no diversity being integrated into your gene pool. I think you can never what... have no bad genes. Sure. You know okay, what I yes, mean? Not no bad, but like. So at some point, the one bad gene you have will grow and become a big thing. Just because you have no diversity that's coming into the no diversity if if you somehow had no bad genes i don't know that no diversity would ever be a problem you know what i mean if you actually had perfect genes which doesn't exist right but i I then maybe i still but i don't but i think you can't have perfect genes and then therefore at some point not having the diversity will become a problem because the bad genes will just keep growing i don't think that's a thing because even like you think about like twins or like you know, people that still have like matching genetics mm-hmm. now that's not due to incest or some like crazy yeah, thing. Identical twins, yes. Yeah. They are. <sighs> they don't have perfect genes. No one has perfect genes. I'm saying that I, th- even if you don't have, let's say, any, any like bad genes that could like manifest into something that would kill you within a lifetime, you know, or within a generation or whatever that the lack of not adding any new genes into your genetic pool for a certain number of generations, you would still end up fucked up. Or you at least would be, your immune system would be so... Um, That's, that would be a problem. So, your immune system at some point would be an issue. Yeah, because you wouldn't you wouldn't have any of the diversity also, to, to fight against your surroundings. You're the one who brought up incest. And I did. this whole episode was not about incest. Well, we didn't talk and about we incest spent the whole like, time. I know, but we spent like five minutes... <laughs> talking about incest and now i have to like transition it to like so what was your favorite couple of the year oh well yeah, we can now transition, transition into that now okay so <laughs> favorite couple of the year i think we can agree incest is bad the incest is bad i just is just wondering if animals i don't know i don't think they do it intentionally I am sure that there is accidental incest within the animal kingdom. Yeah. And maybe sometimes not even accidental. They naturally, I instinctively don't want to do it. So I do think that there are, you know, things put in place like being able to smell your siblings, remember, you know, the children leaving the group once they reach sexual maturity so that they don't mate with their parents. You know what I mean? Oh, uh uh-huh. And they go off on, you know, I do think that things like that have been baked into their, their life cycle Mm -hmm. to prevent that. But, uh. Uh, I'm sure it still happens every once in a while, particularly if you're going cousins. I mean, that's incest, technically speaking. So I, yeah, I'm yeah, it absolutely is. Um, but okay, favorite couple of this season, Matt, I would have to say yes, was Bonnie and Clyde, and maybe it's just because that's a good one. Uh, you know, there's so much folklore around them, and they're still yeah. very relevant to this day, and obviously, you know, have 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 an iconic sort of. Um, history but yep. i genuinely learned a lot that i did not know they were real human beings that existed you know in, in life and yeah. they did crazy things and you know yeah obviously they were maybe not the most morally upstanding people but um i thought they were really interesting and cool and maybe cool is not a good word but I, you know cool in their own way I think they were they are really interesting yeah and i do think you know that they did have a genuine love for each other like a real yeah. relationship you know they were yeah. they were were down bad it wasn't for political reasons or financial reasons or you know any other other reasons you might choose to like be with somebody um and they vibed you know they were on the same like fucking yeah. let's fuck shit up level and i i respect that too i love it hmm. i love it well 
was your favorite couple, ma'am? Um, I was just looking through what we did because I couldn't remember. Obviously, Lucy and Desi are one of my top, my top. As we, as I've like mentioned before, I think that like the first episode of every season, oh. whether or not it's my favorite episode we've done, they like the couples that I like start out the seasons with yeah. are always the one that like have been little pet couples for me that I've been like obsessed with for a while. Okay. So like Lucy and Desi are at the same level of Cleopatra and Antony oh. for me. And, like, how much I've loved them and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's just in general. But I really liked Pericles and Aspasia just because they're so mysterious. Like, we didn't know a lot about them. And so, like, the conjecture that we could come through was fun. I liked liked Mary and Percy from last episode. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They were good. They were a little cuckoo crazies. Yeah. Who isn't? Um, Tristan and Isolde was fun. Oh, yeah. Okay. I love a little... cool. Yeah. A little Greek mythology. And then um, Johnny, Cash, Cash, and June carter cash were good it was all good it was a good season i agree mav those are some heavy yeah. hitters that i also you know forgot about a little bit but lucy and desi would probably be my number two i would yeah. say um just because you know i love lucy is like an iconic show i yep. have a lot of sentimental you know attachment to that show yeah um yeah. and you know just just stars she's she's so amazing just yeah for, she's a star as a, as a, as and a i think they were great being. they were a great little love story they're yeah. definitely one of the tragic hollywood love stories that like are always they hurt your heart to hear them you know yeah. what I mean? Where you're just like, yes, I think they could have made it if only they could have. Hollywood's a tough, a tough business, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this was a wonderful season, Mav. I learned so much. I think we talked about a lot of good couples yep. and had a lot of like diversity. You know, there there was the span the the spectrum. Yeah. We even got into some not real, you know, some Greek mythology. We had a ones. couple not real. Yeah, there was Egyptian mythology, but yes, oh, we didn't do any Greek mythology. Uh-uh. Was that last season? We no. Didn't Didn't we do Zeus and something? Or that was just a part of something else? Um, I mean, Zeus is a messy bitch and is involved in a lot, so. Yeah. Maybe. That's why I remember. But we covered uh, Osiris and Isis, the last season? Egyptian gods. No, that was this season. Yeah, right. Okay, this season. But they're Egyptian gods. Uh, So we covered Osiris and Isis, mm. the two. I like them. I mean, the big boys of Egypt. Yeah. And then we covered. Uh, Pericles and Aspasia, who are Greek, but are real. Yes, they're not mythical gods. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, okay. Before I forget, we'll do our sources, because there were a lot for this. Uh, Most of them are really brief, just like checking in on the different kinds of animals that Uh, I picked to discuss. Okay. But I wanted to give everyone credit that I looked into. Yeah. So first is the Animal Mating Game by Anne Downer and Wild Sex by Dr... (gasps) Karen Bondar. Ooh, wild sex. Yeah, both of those are books that cover mating within the animal kingdom in general. And so they really only touched on monogamy in animals. Like it was a chapter uh, of the book, you know gotcha, what I mean? Yeah. But the whole books were interesting, especially giving you a full idea of what mating is like in the animal kingdom and how the monogamous couples kind of stand out. Yeah. Um, the Australian Museum had an article about the fairy wrens, the birds. Ooh. The U.S. National Park Services had information about the island scrub jay and beavers. 
Birdspot.co.uk told me all about the swans. The World Wildlife Foundation had a really good article about the gibbon. Wildlife Rescue League had an article about the foxes. And allthingsfoxes.com had stuff about both the foxes and the wolves. And then bluetongueskink.net talked about the lizards. Wow. Our own dedicated webpage. Yeah. So many animals. Oh, and then our intro outro is Feeling Good by White Hot from Freebeats.io. And that's it for this season. Gang, 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 gang. We will catch you next season on February 14th, Valentine's Day. Catch us here for season three and a whole new, you know, 10 season. episodes Yay. of couples. Yeah. And until Thank then, you guys happy holidays. so much for listening. I hope happy you holidays. enjoy the end of the happy year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy, happy everything. Merry everything you celebrate. Or if you don't celebrate yep. anything, peace be with you. And also with you. Oh, thanks, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.